Every time I turn around, he seems to be celebrating a goal. Alan is meant to be the difference in the Champions League. You know, they want one when it's a tight semi-final. He'll score one in a tight semi-final too. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Okay, you're very welcome back to OTB AM. I'm here with Ian Keatley, man himself. How are you, Ian? I'm good there, how's things? Not too bad, not too bad. Thanks for playing. Thanks for taking the time with me. I presume, like the rest of us, you tuned in on Sunday to the game. What did you think? Yeah, it was, it was some game, wasn't it? So, um, it had all the range of emotions, the the questions, what are they going to do? But ultimately, Ireland came up with the answers, didn't they? And it's 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 actually so nice to watch an Ireland team and all these things happen to them and, and they just know how to respond and they didn't panic and just finish off, finish off the game so strong. You think Scotland in the first half, they were quite creative. They were making chances. They scored one nice try with, with Hugh Jones and you're like, oh, they're going to get another few chances and then you see Ireland. I think it was after 20 minutes I was watching them. The Scottish and the Irish teams, were they're both out in their feet, <laughs> which which when you're watching on TV, you don't understand, you don't see it from TV, the intensity and the hits and how much work is being done. But for Ireland, like to finish off the second half, they just looked like they're getting stronger and stronger, even with all the all the stuff that was going on. And I, I know chatting to Paul O'Connell, like they, they strive for this unbelievable fitness, this next level of fitness. And it just, it, you could just see it in the match that Scotland just had no, they had no answers. A very hectic game, I suppose, especially with the injuries very early on. And probably the biggest talking point from the game was uh, Van de Fleer and Keane Healy sharing the hooker duties. Something I did want to ask you was um, if there was ever a scenario in your international career where yeah, you know, the coach asked you or the captain asked you, you know, can we stick you in a certain position? What is What would be the last position you'd want to end up at during a game like that? I know yourself being a bit of a utility back at times. Yeah, but obviously if you're you should be back, I think anywhere in the front row, if you're gonna if you're gonna be asked to play play there. Um it's actually I've never had it I never had it in my um international career. I played I was actually a sub one time for, for Ireland and I came on the on the wing um against Italy, I think it was two thousand and seventeen. I came on the wing. I think it was when uh, Craig Gilroy came on and scored the scored the hat trick. So um, I came on then on the wing. Uh, but no, never. I played at number nine for a club for for Munster. Uh, played at twelve. I've played at full back. So, but never nothing in the forwards. Now I don't think. <laughs> I think I stayed well away from there. But like on, on that thing with Keane Healy, like Keane Healy played. He was on my senior schools team, um, and he actually played hooker. But we had three really good props. Keane was one of them. And just to try and get them all on the pitch, we put uh, Keane in hooker. But our number eight actually threw in the ball. He was a very good thrower as well. So, um, yeah, so funny enough, like Keane, I, I know it's completely different from school's level to to the peak international, but he had played there before. And I think chatting to him at the start of the year, they, they actually did want him to try and go into hooker. and uh, Not to throw in, but, but for this reason. And uh, so I think... I know we're all saying that it's been crazy that Keane had to go in hooker, but I think it's just really good planning from from the from the Irish coaches that 
that they've had this plan because if obviously if Keane wasn't able to go in Hooker, they would have to go down to 14 men. So it's, I think it it's, all, I think I know everyone's saying like it was great by Keane and Josh, but I think it's all been a touch of class from the coaching staff that they knew that these possibilities could happen. That if we lose two hookers, um, we need someone to be able to go in hooker. And, and even if you, if you look at Josh's throwing, it was spot on the money. Like the, it wasn't a wobbly ball. It wasn't the rotations on the ball were perfect. So I, I'd be very shocked if he hadn't been practicing as well. Certainly is a testament to Andy Farrell's brilliance and how how important from an outsider's perspective of someone who's been in that squad, how important is a coach and a coach like Andy Farrell to the success of an Ireland team? Because Ireland at the moment are probably the best place they've been, a lot of people are saying ever. So how how important is a coach that set up? Yeah, I think he's done an unbelievable job. Work, worked with... Um with Andy Farrell before and he came into Munster and like he's he's a straight shooter but like he he gets his points across nothing ever phases him or panic and it's all about just it's almost like just get the job done um, but you can you can really see from this this team that they've they've really they don't let anything panic them but they still have plans for the worst case scenarios and I just know in the future when or in the past when Irish teams are going well and people go oh well they haven't been tested or they haven't faces you can't say that about this Irish team have you um, like they've gone down to New Zealand they've they've won a series down there back against the wall against Scotland they've um, like they beef, they've beaten number two in the world of France. Now, probably people will be like, oh, well, they haven't beaten France in the Stade de France. That's probably their next question mark that 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 someone will bring up. Or, or like, they, they just they just seem to have everything covered, every every base covered, um, and they've just got really good strength and depth. And they're playing, they're not playing negative rugby. They're playing really smart, intelligent rugby. Like people saying like, oh, they've gone away from the kicking game. They haven't. If we watch how that game swung on the weekend. It was that contestable that was put in just outside the 22, just outside the 22. And I remember the commentators going, what are they doing, doing a contestable? And then Mac Hansen gets up, wins it. Momentum completely changed and a few more, like they score. So um, they're, they're just a very smart team. They're just playing to the space. They're creating good space, but they're just, they're really good decision makers on the pitch. And obviously do you look at a team like that and think, you know, yourself, you're two years younger than the than the start and fly half at the moment. Do you feel like a bit of not so much jealousy as much as um envy just to play in a team like that uh, with the with the form they're playing on? Yeah, yeah, of course. Like I think every player, whether they're starting off in their career, they're during their career at the moment, or if they've just retired. Like you could even look at like, okay, yeah, myself, or even if you look at like Jamie Heaslip or Roy Best, who have just recently retired as well. Um, I'd say they'd be quite envious and like, well, that that game plan, that the way that they're playing looks quite enjoyable. So, yeah, you do get a bit of envy, of course. Um, I think I think that's the competitor in in all, not just rugby players, but all sports. Mm-hmm. Like you always want to. You always want to be involved in the good times or playing on good teams or playing attractive styles. So, yeah, there is a bit of, bit of enviness now. 
I, I don't lose sleep over it or anything like that. But yeah. hey, you do. You kind of wish that you'd you, you'd played in a team like that. Um, one to fifteen, one to twenty-three. There, there's no let up. So, um, but I'm starting to like I've retired nearly two years. So I used, I'm starting to come across more so as starting to become a fan again. Kind of taking myself out of the rugby side and going, okay, I'm actually enjoying the way they're playing, trying to dissect what they're doing and going to, that's, that's very good what they're doing there. It's very clever. It's so, uh, but the thing is, everything that they're doing, it's not complicated. They've just, it's really simple basics done really, really well and good decision makers on the pitch under that pressure. Like, I think Mike Tyson's favorite saying is everyone's got a plan until they get hit in the face. But this, these guys have a good plan and they're executing it well, getting punched in the face. So, were you ever tempted to make the move to Leinster at any point in your career, being from Dublin yourself? Especially, uh, yeah, but, so I, yeah, I went to I went to Connacht um, for three seasons, and then at the end of my well. Uh, in my third, my last season, I got offers to go to Leinster or, or to Munster. And um, Joe Schmidt was on to me saying, oh, listen, Johnny, he, Johnny kind of just came through then. He wasn't like when I went to Connacht, like he wasn't the starting uh, guy in Leinster. He still had like Contipomi there and uh, stuff like that. So he had only, he was only kind of just coming through. So, uh, I remember Joe Schmidt rang me up and said, oh, would you be interested in coming back to Leinster? You're from Dublin. Uh, come back home. Uh, it'll be you and Johnny Sexton competing against each other. Um, and then I kind of like took the phone call and just had sat down and thought about it. But my thinking of it was if if I went down to Munster, obviously I could sit behind uh, Raj for a year or two, learn off him and uh, but then like Raj was like 11 years older than me. So I was there going, well, like Raj's not going to be around forever. And then once Raj is gone, like I felt there's a big opportunity there to, to cement, cement myself as obviously first, first choice for Munster. And um, that was, it was more like, don't get me wrong, I'd love to have come home to, to like <laughs> your, your family, your friends, your, your mom and dad, like, cause ultimately that's, that's, they, they, they're the people who've shaped you for your, since you've been what for your first 20, 21 years of my life. Um, so I had it was a tough talk, but I just thought Munster was a great club, uh, really good people. You had like unbelievable players there, and I just thought that I could go there and earn, have have a really good career there with with learning from Raj. But then when Raj moved on, that hopefully that I could become the number one. So that was the. It was more business kind of decision rather than going home decision. I wanted to talk about your Connacht days. You mentioned it there. It's kind of, for me personally, as a guy with a with a dad from Roscommon, I went to a lot of games growing up in the sports ground, and you were a bit of a. I would I would myself label you as a, an adopted local star. When I was younger, I didn't even realize you were from Dublin. It just seemed like this was. Connock's uh, star boy. Do you look back on those days with uh, with gratitude and even a little bit of regret you may having to stuck it out one or two seasons longer? No, um, I, I I love Connacht. Um, 
I loved so I worked with um Eric Elwood and Dan McFarland um with the Ireland under twenties. And we won a grand slam with the Ireland under twenties in two thousand and seven, I think it was. Yeah. So then uh went back uh to Leinster and I had a really bad injury in my back. And we couldn't, we got scans, we got everything, we couldn't, they couldn't decipher what it was. And then I remember I kind of fell out with the Leinster physios because they, they almost said that I was faking it. And I was like, this is the Leinster physio at the time. And I was like, I'm not faking this. Like, why would I fake this? Anyway, I went to see my own specialist and he said, I'll get you right. So did really work with him. A guy called Mike Carswell, actually. A lot of the Leinster players still go to him. Um, and then um, got better working with Dan Tobin and then... Eric and Dan, even though I had a poor season that season, just through injury, Eric and Dan said, listen, would you still like to come to Connacht? Like, we've got full potential in you. Um, talk to Leinster, they were saying, like, you'll be staying, you'll stay in the academy for one more year and then you'll progress on. But I saw, like, players like Fionn Carr, who had done three years in the Leinster academy and then kind of been let go. And I was like, I don't want to be let go. And, like, this could be my only opportunity. So, when they said to come down to Connacht for a full contract, like that's that's what you dream as, like when you're a youngster, so just being able to play professional rugby. So Connacht gave me that chance to become uh, a professional. Uh, and as Andy Dunn was the 10 there at the time, and I just knew that I was going to get loads of game time. Um, and I, I ended up doing it in three seasons. I played like 80 matches for, for Connacht. Um, Played in some unbelievable experiences, matches. Played against Johnny Wilkinson, my my childhood hero, uh, for for Toulon in the semi final of European Cup, and absolutely loved the experience of and what they were kind of selling to me that they had a three year plan to grow and develop uh, this team around the likes of myself, Sean Crone and Fionn Carr. They obviously had Gavin Duffy and John Muldoon there at the time, um, so you you kind of got excited by what they were trying to sell you. But after three years, it was kind of, we had, we still had good success, but I just felt that it was kind of now or never. I was 24 to 23, 24. What, what was it the best for me to, to move on? And especially when I was living with Sean Cronin and Fionn Carr and they all have offers to move on as well. And you're kind of discussing that. What's the best. And I think Sean, well, the three of us discussed that was probably the best for the, three of us to move on which was tough for Connacht that that the three of us kind of moved on all together because but we had to kind of take it be a bit selfish and think about ourselves so I did want to ask you if there was um, a moment or a game or an accolade that you, you if I'm, I'm going to make you pick one that you could remember for the rest of your life which 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 one would it be uh, oh god I can't pick one. That's pretty hard. Like, as I said, like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Because you're involved in so many, like, like the two days, like I was involved in 2018 Grand Slam, but I didn't set foot in the field on the, on the field. So you're like, okay, you're kind of proud of being involved in it, but like, okay, then, and then like, there's so many achievements with, uh, with Monster, but they're not trophies. So you're like, okay, are they, like, do you want to like look at them? And then you start going back to like your your early start of your career. Like, I won a Grand Slam with the Ireland under twenties. Won a like uh, Leinster School Senior Cup, which 
like back then, like I, I was, went into the school when I was nine, ten. All you're all you're living up for is senior cup. You're like so, like that's an unbelievable. Um, now now it's change obviously but like back then that that was the biggest thing in the world to win a Lent School Senior Cup and then to win uh, an Ireland under 20 Grand Slam um, I think it was the first time Ireland had won a Grand Slam at, at underage against two teams who like it was under 20s but they were just changing from under 21 to under 20 so France and England both played or France and Italy I think both played under 21 teams Um so to beat them, that was incredible. And then, yeah, at the end, the next year, getting your first Irish cap um, was pretty impressive. But also, like, when everyone thought that my career was kind of done and to come back and then to to be involved in that Ireland under, uh, Ireland uh, 2018 Grand, Grand Slam, that's, that like, that's an achievement for me because everyone said that I was, I was done in 2015 and 16. I got booed off against Leicester. Um, so for me to to come back from where I was in a pretty dark place, wanting to give up rugby, um, for me to come back from that and to get back to play for Ireland, um, that's kind of a an achievement without uh, like actually lifting a trophy or something like that. So I'm kind of like proud of those little things from from where you know where you where I knew I was mentally and wanting to give up to fight and to get back and to, um, as I said, that's, that, was, that was an achievement for me just to, to come out of that dark place. And, um, I mentioned earlier you're only, <laughs> you're only 35 at the moment, two years younger than Johnny Sexton. You're playing in the Irish Legends versus English Legends game on Paddy's Day. It's almost weird to call you an Irish legend at the age of 35. Mm. Do you think that's a bit of a strange one for yourself to be called an Irish legend? Yeah, I probably do feel a bit young to be playing it, but I like. First of all, it's for like it's a great cause. Like you're you're, you're playing, and especially this year, like um, with with the passing away of like so someone I've worked with quite closely over the last two years, Tom Tierney. Um, like we'll be playing for playing for him, and even Brian O'Brien, who passed passed away, who was a who was a legend down in Limerick. Um, but yeah, the, me and Tom, like I played in it last year as well. And Tom said that he was going to get the um, video of it and analyze my uh, my play and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so it is a bit of a, a weird one, but you just remember it's for cause. And John, you know I actually miss playing. I miss playing playing rugby. I always hop in like I'm coaching now, and I always try and like come in at training and like just the fifty twenty two rule only came in there since I retired. So I wouldn't mind hitting one of them in the, in the matches. Um, Cause that's, <laughs> I always do when I come in training and hit a fifty twenty, hit a fifty twenty two, And it's a, it's just, it's a nice, it's a nice feeling. So I'd love to hit one of them in the legends match, but um, yeah, it's, it's for a good cause and a good reason you get to play with other players. Like, like you haven't played with, like I haven't played with uh, a few of those plays since, like I haven't played with Sean Cronin and Fionkar since the Connacht days. Um, Sean O'Brien, yeah, I played with him at Ireland, but the main thing when I played with Sean O'Brien was uh, back when we won that Grand Slam. Um, so uh, it's it's nice to play with all these guys. And then you've got like Shane Byrne and Gordon Darcy who are all like legends of Ireland rugby. I think it's it's a cool experience and 
it's not too taxing on the body. You mentioned uh, missing your playing days. I saw last year or towards the end of last year, you picked up GEA hmm. and you tweeted out, um, it was your first game. It was like, you said 35, it's hardly your first game at GEA. <laughs> but uh, how did you find the, the, the switch over? It actually was my first ever game, yeah. Um, just, you know, yourself when you're younger, you, you kind of, it's whatever your parents get you get you into or whatever your friends are doing. So uh, I used to play like um, soccer and, and rugby and tennis when I was younger. So I never got into, just didn't have the time for it. Um, so I absolutely loved it. And another reason I, I tweeted as like, I have like two kids and like, I, well, first my, but the boy, uh, Quinn, he, he never saw me play rugby because he was only born there. Um, two years ago and uh, Beth my daughter she saw me play over in Italy but she can't really remember and then COVID struck so she never got to see me play then after that so it was kind of it's like I wanted to pick up a sport just so they could actually like see me playing something and also another reason that I want to play in this Legends match as well it's like so like they're coming up to watch and because they know that I'm still heavily involved in rugby and like they've they've seen videos of me playing, so I kind of just I'm looking forward to like getting out in the pitch and then even bringing them onto the pitch afterwards. Just uh, I I just love when I see that after matches because that's the main reason why why you play and stuff like that. So uh, so to go back to playing in a hand, it's, it's two minutes down the road, and I just want to keep active. And a hand is a it's a it's a really nice. We're, we're in the hand community. It's a really good community, and it's um just want to yeah keep playing, keep fit. Will the kids be a bit confused as to whether to pick up a, a rugby yeah. ball or a, or a gal ball at this stage? Ah, yeah. Well, listen, at this stage, you don't really mind what what they do as long as they're playing sport and they're happy. And but like you have that, like you look at like a lot of um, rugby players now. They have that multi sport disciplinary, and um, like Rob Carney with his GAA background, uh, Robbie Henshaw, like. Any sport that a kid plays now, it's 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 going to help you. Just just make sure that you're enjoying it and play as much sport as you can. I think. Look, I'm a huge fan, Ian, and I really appreciate the time. Um, thanks, Emil. It's been great. No worries there. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.